Welcome to the talk show for talkers on irishtalkers.com. Hello, Toastmasters, would-be Toastmasters, listeners and friends. You're very welcome to episode two of this week's offering of the talk show for talkers on irishtalkers.com. Last week, we listened to the first segment of a conversation between Mark Brown and Verity Price, two world champions. We're going to give you another slice of that conversation this week, and we're going to give you a third slice next week. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation between Mark and Verity. But my coaching was, I'm trusting this person. I know they're on my side. And if they push me and it's uncomfortable, it's because they see something I can't see yet. And so Lance, uh, I did tell him the first call I had with him, my ego resisted every bit of feedback he was giving me. I was so attached to my semi-final speech. I was like, I've nearly got to district with this. Now he's telling me to change it. I watched myself resisting, but I took notes. And when I got off the call, I, I gave myself a talking to. And I said, he's a world champion. Listen to him. Go change your speech. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a game changer. <laughs> well, that's that's interesting because you're saying you are you are a world champion now, but you saw the value of getting help from someone who has been where you want to be. That being said, I always say you are the president of your presentation. You make the decisions. Looking back, is there anything in your speech you think you would have changed, not only in terms of content, but the way you delivered? Because now the video is out there, over 17,000 views in three days, whatever the case may be, and the world is watching. And perhaps you watched yourself a few times. Have you said to yourself, uh, I should have done that. I should have waited here. What are you telling yourself now that you get to see it from the audience's perspective? Well, the honest truth is I've watched, I watched it I've watched it once and I haven't actually watched it again because I was so glad to not have to deliver it again. I was like, oh, I have dreamt and eaten and slept that. That's... But when I did watch it, the thing that I noticed, and I'm very critical of myself, but I, I was very happy with what I did. In fact, it was better than I thought. It was such a blur in the contest. Suddenly you see the lights come on, you finished. I was very happy when I saw it. I was like, oh, it came across better than I thought I'd done. But the thing I always see that I always would do different is more pauses. Mm. And sometimes I that's the I am a speaker who doesn't pause a lot. I have to remember to. But that's the one thing to do that more. And it's difficult in the virtual space because you're not waiting for a laugh and working with the audience. But that was the big thing. But in terms of that was the speech I wanted to give. And I'm very grateful. I think it was Dale Carnegie, the, the three speeches, the one you practice, the one you give, and the one you wish you gave. When you've worked for 100 days on a speech and you've implemented so much feedback and it suddenly come together, that was the speech I wanted to give. And I feel so grateful because I've never felt like that. Um, my semi-final speech, there were still things I might have changed. But my final speech was that was the best that speech was going to be for me. I'm sure oh. it'll grow and change, but I'm 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 so happy. I'm content. Oh, that's wonderful. I must insert two quick comments here. One, one of my friends, a fellow world champion, Morgan MacArthur, who won in '94, told me he beat me in '94, but he told me write a speech you can't wait 
to give. And having done that, you must really feel not only have you given the speech you wanted, but you left a message that you... And my other comment is this. I suspect there is a program coming 100 days to your victory somewhere in your future. But that, I love that. that. <laughs> but that with that thought of, of, your, of wanting to give that speech, what was... What was driving, what was burning inside you that said the audience across the world needs to hear this? What was burning in you that said, I must, I must tell them? I think we live in a world where we, we have a lot of rules about what our lives should look like. And I certainly was someone who subscribed to that. I left school thinking it was all going to happen for me and it was going to be perfect because I wanted it. I wanted to be you know, I wanted to be a famous singer. I wanted to be married. I wanted, I had all these things I wanted to do. And my life didn't turn out that way. My dad died when I was 24. My mom became an alcoholic. I've had a lot of failed relationships and I suffered from depression because I couldn't accept that. I was so angry with life that I've worked hard and why, why is everyone else getting what I want? And my life changed when I accepted where I was. And, you know, at 40 and as a woman, I was very subscribed to that kind of what it's meant to look like. Not all people do have that, but I think, I don't think I'm alone in wanting that. And I had to let it go. And in that letting go, that was when my life changed. And, you know, yes, suddenly it sounds like I had the fairy tale, but if, if I can give hope that it's never too late, it's never too late to step into something else, to change your story, to turn things around. It might not end up exactly the way you expect, but when you have made peace with that and you realize that you are actually in control of your experience of your life, not necessarily your circumstances, but your experience, that's when life changes. And with where the world is at right now, that's the only place a lot of us can find freedom because we don't have control over our circumstances. So that's why I wanted to share it, because many of us are locked in spare rooms, not by our own. But if it gives someone hope to, to shift that, then I'm, I'm so happy. Many of us are locked in spare rooms, not of our own choosing. That is lyrical and almost poetic. And I noticed in your presentation, you had some lines that were really catchy, I'm sure would resonate. The line about scary tale. How did that come about? It's a wonderful line. Everyone I've talked to just loves it. Did that? Did you happen upon it? How did you arrive at that particular line? So I actually thought it was maybe too cheesy. I nearly left it out. It came in two days before the finals. I suddenly realized it. So that line came from a few bits of feedback. The, the one was earlier versions of the speech where my message was, I was saying, look for the good. People felt was a bit soft and going, but your life wasn't that hard and you're making light of depression. So I realized I needed to mention that my ego had a problem with what my life looked like, not that my life was that hard. So I was trying to work that out. And then actually it was feedback I got at Renaissance Speakers, Lance Miller's club. One of wow. his club members said, at the beginning, when you've set up what your life looks like, you need to find a line similar to what Lance had around, I had a couple of roommates named mom and dad. It just yeah. paints the picture. And suddenly I was like, I've been talking about fairy tales and for my ego, this was the scary tale. And it just, I, it was playful. So I'm so glad I stuck it in because I nearly left it out, but my sister heard it. She was like, I love that. Go for it. And uh, <laughs> I've had a few messages about the scary tale. <laughs> well, see, you, you say again, you almost left it in, but your sister said, no, almost took it out. And your yeah. sister said, no, leave it in. Talk to us, talk to Toastmasters who are around the world, who are maybe new, who are struggling with the idea of what do I take out? What do I leave in? Is there a process you can share with us to decide? Is, are there iterations? What's your process there of sifting through? It's, it's an interesting one. I mean, 
obviously in a normal Toastmasters context, you give a speech once, you might deliver it again with a few changes, but it's only in the context that you really start shaping a speech, which is similar to a professional speaker and keynote. I was quite attached to some things. I had a, a line in my speech around the humor of people always asking if they're on mute in Zoom <laughs> meetings. And then I kept getting feedback on my Google Forms. Like, that's so done. All the comedians are doing it. Leave it out. And I was keeping it in because I thought it was funny. And Lance said, you can't keep something in just because you think it's funny. Mm. <laughs> you know, sometimes listen to your audience and, and trust that. So it's, it's a lot of refining, but that's why I don't think you can do it on your own. You have to have some safe people that you can bounce things off and learn how to learn how to refine and then also what to put in maybe just to to give some context the story stayed the same for a long time it was how I'd left the spare room and I'd met my husband and I had a baby but it was also probably four weeks before the finals at one club someone said I don't hear the timeline you're not telling me how long that took. You're telling me to write a different story, but now how quickly will my life change? So then I was like, oh, you need to know that happened after six months. That happened after a year. This took four years. And, and that was really useful because I hadn't thought to put it in because I'm not, you sometimes forget to put yourself in the audience's shoes and go, they don't know the story. And what are the gaps for them that need to be in there? So you have to ask someone what's missing. What didn't make sense to you? What can I add in? Well, you just also gave us some wisdom. You said, listen to your audience, because I've learned your audience can help you write your presentation. So I want to dig a little bit deeper on your process in terms of timeline as well. You say 100 days to create this master. Was there a point in time when you said, I'm not going to lock in my script. This is it. No more changes. And after that, what was your practice routine? Or rehearsal route. So that was probably about two days before the finals. I suddenly said, that's enough. Although on the day of the finals, my sister added something in for me, which was kissing my prince. That was new. I had said I met my husband. But suddenly we're like, but you've been kissing frogs. You can kiss a prince. And it just was fun. And it was easy to add in. So that's that we put in. But I didn't actually practice that much towards the end because I was so overwrought and I couldn't see the speech anymore. And I actually had to just let it go and trust that all that work, all that practice would pay off when I did the contest. Otherwise, I would have been rehearsing right up to the end. And, and that also came from watching probably one of these interviews that was had with Mike Carr after his oh. win last year. He also said he, he eventually had to stop practicing because you start doubting yourself. So I eventually did let it go and it was pretty locked in, but there was a, there was a fluidity when we said, oh, let's add in a fun thing. It was easy to add it in because I was comfortable. One more question for you regarding that process. Now, when I was competing a gazillion years ago in a previous millennium, it was a little bit different. We had a couple of months between our semifinal, it was called regional back then, and the final in August. In your case, it's a matter of days. What is it like to prepare two speeches within a short window? And how do you decide which goes first and which goes second if you have two ready? Tell us a bit about that, Verity, please. I think I was very committed to my, my district speech was the one I would do for the semifinals. It, I didn't ever think I could swap them around. So maybe if I had that as an option, I would have had it would have been a harder choice. But doing two speeches concurrently was incredibly challenging. I would log on to clubs and do one speech, get a whole lot of feedback and then gather myself and do the next speech. So it was it was a brain twister, I'll put it mm. that way. But again, I mean, when as a speaker do you get to stretch yourself like that? I would never put myself under that 
pressure and, you know, learning how two different speeches, two very different styles of delivery in certain ways. But it was it was full on. And I was so grateful once the semi-final was recorded. I, I mean, I just let that speech go. It was like, and I'm done. And my brain was like, oh, I can just focus on one. So I recommend that just focusing on one. But it does, I'm sure all the semi-finalists would agree with me that the process will have grown them as speakers and as presenters. Wait. In terms of the growth, just being in the content, how would you define or describe your growth over the last six or eight months? Sure. It's it's shown me that I can put everything into something and go for it and commit and just trust myself that I've decided to pick a path and go for it. And it's I think through the coaching process, and it's I spoke briefly about it earlier with Lance, was it made me confront my ego. And realizing how quickly I can get attached to thinking what I'm doing is is working and then having to go have a growth mindset, listen, take that feedback. Don't assume you've got this sorted. You know, if someone's saying something, consider it, see if you can shift. So it's really taught me to be a lot more open to feedback, a lot more flexible in just quickly changing and pivoting and not being, but that's the way I'm doing it. And I've mentored a lot of speakers, so I know what it's like. Someone goes, but that's my story and that's what happened. And you're saying, don't ruin a good story with the facts and they don't want to listen I was that person. So the the growth has come from getting feedback at an 8 a.m. meeting and adapting it and applying it at a 12 p.m. meeting and just practicing and going and changing. I think if I can take that into my business and into the rest of my life, it's going to be a life skill. I hope all you budding world champions of public speaking, I hope you picked up some little gems and nuggets from that conversation between Verity Price who is the current world champion, and Mark Brown. I hope you picked up some tips. Tomorrow, we are speaking about a very topical subject with Paul O'Mahony. Paul will be addressing the year end and the importance of passing the baton on to the next leadership team in your club for the coming season, season 22-23. We'll see you then. Talk Show for Talkers is published every week in sections at 4pm every Friday, Saturday, Sunday and Monday. Go to our website irishtalkers.com for more information.